Hello, you're very far away over there. Um, it is lovely to, to be here and lovely to see you. Uh, many familiar faces. Um, and even better to see some unfamiliar faces, which is good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Jill, as Jill said, we were working in Turkey for three years. We actually have an interesting church there with three separate language groups, Turkish, Farsi, and Arabic, and we're learning Turkish and forgetting Farsi a bit and picking up bits of Arabic as well, and it all gets mixed up. Um, so first of all, I want to bring you greetings from that church, those three groups. Uh, Mikhail, some of you have met, who sort of leads the whole thing. Uh, he sends his greetings, as does the whole church. And today I'm not going to um, talk about doctrine or theology. You'll be pleased to know, I think nothing too complicated. Um, because although theology and doctrine is very good, it, it's, uh, it's, it strikes me as that God works primarily through people, and it's through how he works with each of us individually, our stories and people through the ages and through different cultures, uh, that he weaves together something intricate and beautiful and glorious, uh, which is the church and what he's doing in the world. So I want to tell you a story today, particularly. Hi, Saeed. I see you there. Hi, Salam. Uh, I, we've, we've had to learn to understand culture more, to understand our own culture and other people's cultures, because without that, we end up with, you just don't understand someone. You don't understand how they think and how they re respond to something. You can say something and put your foot in it big time. We've done it. We're still doing it. And you can yourself get offended by what somebody does. And So to really understand somebody, you have to understand a bit of their culture as well. Actually, quite a lot of it. Um, so yes, I want to uh, talk about a lady, a true story of a woman that I read about, and she had a medical problem, and uh, that she, uh, she suffered from bleeding, hemorrhaging, bleeding. Now, in itself, that's not a big, a big deal. I mean, every woman pretty much for about 30-odd years suffers from, well, suffers from experiences uh, bleeding during her monthly cycle as part of her a natural fertility cycle. But I mean, I'm not an expert in this, as you can imagine. Um, but I've been married for 30 years. I have two grown-up daughters. I had a mum, you know, know some things. And um, at the very least, this is for women a um, uh, inconvenient uh, experience. It can be very uncomfortable, can alter their mood, uh, and actually can be quite painful at times as well. And it lasts for maybe up to a week every month. If you didn't know this, by the way, then <laughs> you heard it from me first. As I say in Turkish, let it be your news. Um, but this lady was, it wasn't just that. Her bleeding was very irregular. So it would, it would, it would carry on, and then it would stop for a bit, then it would carry on. And, then, and it went on like this for 12 years. Um, now, even by today's standards, that would be a serious problem. Even with today's medicine, I'm sure the doctors amongst us would know what that would be called or what it might be called. Um, but even by today's modern um, standards, that would be a heavy burden, enact a heavy burden on, on uh, a woman. Um, certainly, it would be a lot of heavy burden of pain, of weakness, of anemia, and of uh, social... Uh, well, it would curtail a lot of things that you could do, perhaps. 
But to really understand her situation, you have to understand uh, how she felt, you understand who she was and where she was living, because this lady was living in a very conservative Jewish culture. Um, you have to understand her eyes, her religious outlook. Um, I mean, even in the West, uh, we have our own taboos, we have our own difficult things. I mean, for some of you, me talking about a woman bleeding, it might be, ooh, icky, ooh, move on. Uh, so we're not immune from this ourselves. Um, you might be embarrassed now. I mean, there are some churches in the world I could not give this talk. Uh, some African churches that I know of, it's just like, it's so taboo, you can't even mention this. Um, and, and this taboo in many parts of the world is still an unnecessary extra burden for girls and women around the world. Uh, it's unacceptable, really, for many, many places. In some places, uh, women and girls, when they have their period, they have to go to a special hut or something, and then they have to go through some ritual to be readmitted into normal society, for instance. Um, I, had, uh, I heard an anecdote from one of my Iraqi friends that she knew of an Iraqi Catholic woman living in Iraq, and during her time of the month, she wouldn't take communion because she felt like it was somehow separated her. There is no basis for that uh, in the Bible, by the way, just to reassure you. And this, so this, live, this woman lived in the Middle East in a very patriarchal society, uh, a very conservative Jewish society. So what does the Jewish thing have to do with it? Well, if you look back in her Bible, if you like, her scriptures, the Old Testament, you can see, if you read um, in Leviticus, all kinds of uh, strictures and uh, do's and don'ts that people had to live by. The Jewish way of approaching God and, and worshipping God in many ways is, is built on a system of law, both moral and ceremonial. Many, 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 many different things, do's and don'ts, things you could hardly you know, even think about. There's something about it. There's a rule for this, there's a rule for that. And if you break the rule, there's some sort of way of getting back. And it, somehow, any, if you, and, and it's a very intricate, very wide, or very deep, a very intricate system linking together to form something that almost like a tightrope. You had to fulfill everything to be qualified to approach God. And anything that just popped out, the whole thing would tumble out, you would be disqualified. And the, the Bible actually uses a term, uh, with the original meaning of the word really means separation, but often it's translated perhaps unhelpfully because they couldn't think of what to translate it as, as a ceremonially unclean. I don't particularly like that because it implies that it became dirty, but I, I don't think that's the original intent. It's more like you became separate, you became disqualified. Having said that, just like in our society, in their society too, I think this uncleanness idea may have seeped into culture as well. So it became very unhelpful. So yes, there is a moral law about you know, love your neighbor and don't steal and don't murder. And there's also a whole raft, far too many that I could even talk to you about ceremonial things and uh, in every part of life um, including the uh, discharges from the body including therefore a woman's period and during her during any, when a woman bleeding from her body then she became disqualified at the time she, she was disqualified from public worship um, anyone who touched her would become disqualified if you sat where she had been sitting you became disqualified. If you lay down where she'd been lying, you became disqualified. 
and you would be disqualified, you'd be unclean until the evening and you have to wash and then you'd be free to approach God again through public worship. Um, they also had a, a system of animal sacrifice as well, but which uh, was pointing somewhere else. I won't go into that, but they had a system of animal sacrifice by which you would somehow get beyond your disqualification, your unworthiness. Um, so you can imagine then if, uh, that, that for many people, this woman would not be a woman you want to hang around with. She really has to be secluded. She can't take part in public life very easily. Um, was she married? We don't know this. If she was, it would have affected marriage very significantly. After 12 years, she may well have been divorced. If she wasn't married, there was no way she could get married. Now, I mean, for us, that's not a big deal, perhaps, um, because we live in a society where women can't live by themselves. But if working with Syrians and Iraqis and Iranians has taught me one thing, is that's a very different story for women in most parts of the world. And without a husband, without male protection, it's, it's a very precarious way of life. So she's isolated socially, unprotected. She's spent all her money on doctor's cures. And after 12 years, she hadn't made any headway. Um, after, um, normally, when, whenever she would stop bleeding, and this is good for any woman, they would have to present a couple of pigeons or doves to the priest, he would make some sacrifice, and she would have to bathe. And the Jewish tradition was that the woman would, would, uh, would go underwater and every part of her body had to be submerged, even her hair had to be submerged. Then she was qualified again. So anyone she touched would be disqualified, so therefore no one would want to touch her. She would be, you know, really she should just stay indoors, go away. Don't bother me. If you come into the market, don't come near me. You don't know who's going to be unclean or not. So it's you know, a big deal for her. So put yourself in this woman's shoes for a moment. She's feeling ill. She maybe has pain. She's certainly weak and anemic. She's uh, isolated socially completely without any guardians to help her out. And she's broke. Um, by the way, if this sounds very alien to you, there are still many people in the world, and perhaps you know some of them, who will have something of this mindset, will have some of this experience. Um, an awful lot of the Jewish law was, inco was incorporated into Islamic Sharia law, and so anybody from a Muslim background who is Muslim themselves will experience this today, and presumably Jewish people do still, I'm not sure. So I want to... Nick, could you bring uh, next to my um, cup there was a uh, chair? There was a cup. I'm just getting thirsty. Some people we know as well um, from other anecdotal events that, that some people would have imputed this illness. Thank you very much. Would have imputed. No, 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 no. So, so <laughs> and we know that some people in the culture would have imputed this woman's continuing illness to something she had done wrong. We see it. Uh, well, we know, we'll tell you later why, but we, we certainly know that some people in that culture have said, ah, you know, who, who sinned? This woman or perhaps her mother and father that she, she's got this illness? What have you done wrong? What's wrong with you? And because of that attitude, plus all this thing about she could contaminate other people, then she would likely have felt a great burden of shame as well, potentially. But then, 
that you heard about a traveling teacher, uh, a, a prophet, a, a, a healer, who was well in, in the area she lived. And she'd heard stories from other people on the grapevine about um, you know, amazing things he'd done and said, and uh, you know, miracles, even turning water into wine, apparently, and, and, and doing all kinds of healing. So she was really interested in this. And, and then she heard that this guy was, was in the area. And something rose up in her. I thought, well, maybe I, you know, I, I need to see this guy. I need to do something. But how on earth is she going to approach this guy? You know, he, most, there, were, there were other rabbis and teachers in, in that time. Uh, they would have their entourage with them, their disciples, uh, students, if you like. Um, and you know, this guy was no exception. He had quite a big entourage, uh, people going with him, traveling around the area. And she must have been so intimidated by, by that. How are you going to get an audience with this guy when you're not even supposed to be anywhere near him? If he's a holy man, then he's not going to want to touch you, lose his qualification. And all the other disciples, all the other people hanging around. Anyway, she lived near the side of a lake, near a lake, and, and she heard news in the, the town, the village, that, that he'd been there, and actually crossed over the lake and gone to the other side. But there was a rumor that he might come back again later in the day. So she set off, and, she, and lo and behold, she, he did come back. And by the time she got, um, you know, got out, she, she realized that he was there. And now I'm going to have to call upon some actors, many of you. So I'm giving you warning, like one second's a warning. So, uh, so I need lots of actors, and you're going to have to turn around your chairs. If you can't see, you can just stand up, and that's fine, all right? So I need a Jesus for a start, because that was the prophet's teacher, healer's name. Uh, I, th I need someone with a bit of a coat as well, because that's important, because we'll come to it later. I think you, you might be a fine Jesus. You've got the beard and everything. <laughs> so what's your name? Rob. Rob, thank you. Rob, would you mind standing at the back there, please? There'll be plenty more of you joining him, don't worry. You know, he hasn't got the Jesus sandals, unfortunately, but you'll have to imagine that one. So, yes, so she heard about this, and, um, uh, and she got out, and she, and she saw him. They came back on the boats, and there was Jesus there for sure. And there was also, like, his students, so I need, um, you know, as many as strapping fellows who can join him as possible, please. Chop, chop. Come on. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything. Nothing will be expected of you much. No embarrassment, I can promise. Excellent. So they were around him talking. Yeah, turn, by all means, turn around. That's fine. And, um, and the lady who... I, I'm going to ask Jill, if you don't mind, just to be this woman. Yeah, we do. But if you could stand over there, Jill, on the right-hand side. So this woman sees from, from some distance. Don't get close, though. Don't go close yet. So, yeah, you're supposed to touch them, remember? And, and there were some, not just the disciples, there, were, there was a whole bunch of people, women and men, who were, like, crowding around him. So I need a bunch of people. Come on, Hadi. Sorry, yalla. <laughs> come on, you can go as well. You guys, come on, Hadi, Hadi. A couple of women. Lots and lots of people all around him. Some more? Oh, you, you can join as well, please. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's welcome. Come on. <laughs> so they're all milling around uh, Jesus, and then if that's not bad enough, she's thinking, "Well, how on earth am I going to get there?" She's she's not strong in herself. 
All the things I've told you are affecting her mind and her body and the social environment is such that really she should not be there. She certainly shouldn't be touching these guys and you know, getting involved at all. So what's she going to do? She doesn't want to talk about this embarrassing situation. What can she do? And then something even worse happens. And Dennis, you can help me with this. Because, um, no, I'm all ticking on you, aren't I? Perhaps you can help me instead, sir. And then something else happens. Then she sees another guy joining the party. If you could just go along and talk to Jesus for a while. It turns out, <laughs> it turns out that this guy comes along and he's... And he's talking with Jesus about something really serious. He doesn't know what. And then she realizes he's only the synagogue leader. He's one of the synagogue leaders. Of all the people to turn up at this point, how she's thinking, he's the last person she wants to have around. And he's probably, she's the last person that he wants to, to, to see. Of all the people to disqualify from public worship duties is the synagogue leader, right? And then she's still worrying about how to do this, and then she realizes that something's going off because they decide they're going to go, they start moving very slowly, if you don't mind, very slowly, milling about, and press in a bit around him, press in, press in, very slowly. Okay, stop there for a second. They start, they start setting off. They start setting off towards the synagogue leaders, his name is Jairus, uh, apparently, to his house. So she's thinking, for goodness sake, I better, if I don't do something soon, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss the chance. And that, you can just pause for a second. So something is happening in her heart. Something is happening in her mind thinking, I have got to do this. I'm going to do something, even though everything is in my way to stop me doing it. And that thing, that, that attitude, if you like, of deciding to do something against the odds to reach through to the person you need to, in this case, to reach through and to get an audience with Jesus, to get what she needs, is called faith. That's what faith is. So somehow, from somewhere, she gets faith for this. Carry on. So it's slowly, very slowly. And you're talking amongst yourselves, and Jairus is very concerned, apparently his daughter's very... And so she decides... She decides to hell with all this stuff. Go for it. She decides she's going to have to push in very slowly. She's going to have to push very slowly. And don't be too quick, Jill. Just slow down, slow down, slow down. And she gets so close. And then she realizes, well, she doesn't really want to be seen by Jesus. She's thinking, maybe if I can just touch his clothing, that will be enough. Because in a sign of great respect to this teacher, she doesn't want to touch him. Because if she touches him, he's disqualified. He's unclean. And it's a sign of great respect. I think it's rather moving that she decides in this faith, I'll just touch his clothes and that will be enough from what I've heard. So I reckon she's probably by this stage, she probably gets down on her hands and knees probably and, has, and starts to pushing through. Carry on. And she's pushing through and people are saying, get out of the way, woman. Go on, go for it. And then at some point she managed to reach through and she, and if you just freeze, well, turn, just grabs his coat and just freeze. And if you can step away a little bit, everyone else, apart from the rabbi and the woman, just step back a little bit. And at that point, something amazing happens. Two amazing things happen, actually. Firstly, she feels... Excuse me. <laughs> she feels... 
something happening to her. She feels healing. She feels what it's like. She knows what it feels like when she's bleeding, but she's not. And she feels there the bleeding stop. And she lets go and scuttles away. But then the second thing that happens is that he, the rabbi, he knows something has gone on. He's not, you know, he's being pushed. You can see he's pushed and shoved and dusty and he doesn't know what's going on. But he knows something has happened. And he says, he starts talking, he says, uh, hang on, I felt something leave me there. Uh, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples are like, you're joking, aren't you? Because, <laughs> because as you can see, they are, they are from Teesside. <laughs> you're joking me. You, they're, they're all pushing it. What do you mean? And he said, no, no, somebody touched me. Who is it? Whatever. And she doesn't want to tell the whole story, does she? But eventually she realizes he's looking around. And they're looking around. Well, I don't know. What are you talking about? And eventually she realizes that even though she's she, trembling, fearful, she comes and she kneels down and she falls at Jesus' feet and they all make a bit of a space for her. And she tells him, you don't say anything, she tells him the whole story. Expecting what? I don't know. Expecting the opprobrium and, uh, and uh, is there a fancy word for that? Um, uh, condemnation, thank you of all these other guys, she just pushed past all of them. They're all unclean. God knows what Jesus is going to say. She didn't know that much about him. She knew, she knew a little about him, but not everything. But what little she had, she decided to risk it, and she went through. And his words to her were, when he heard the whole story, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Thank you. Thanks. You can all go back to your seats. Thank you so much. A little round of applause for these guys as well. Now, that's the end of what we know of this true story. And... Somebody's going to tell me if I've run out of time here. I'm not sure. I haven't got too long. Ten minutes or something. I've got... Okay. But that's the end of what we know about the story. The woman slipped away. She went home. Actually, she didn't slip away anymore. She went back vindicated by Jesus. It's called the daughter, which means, you know, you say daughter of Abraham. You're one of us. After a bleeding stop, she would have gone to the priest. She would have done the thing with the doves, the pigeons or whatever. Had the, the, the last, you know bathing thing, healed, restored to a community. Um, yeah, came back in family, got a job, started trading, who knows what she did. I think, though, it's very likely she would have kept her ear to the ground about this prophet. By the way, oh, he went off, by the way. He just went off to the, the Jairus' house, and that's another story. He had a busy day. Um, I feel sure that this lady would have carried on listening to what was going on. I mean, if she was interested before, how much more interested would she be afterwards? And I think she would have followed every bit of gossip and news that she would have. And I think it's very likely that she would have heard about him in the months and years to go, to, to, to come, that he would have been gone to Jerusalem, heard about his arrest, his betrayal, his mock trial, and, she, and his execution. And I'm pretty sure she would have heard about 
if she didn't even go herself. She would have heard about the rumors of his, that he came back to life and talked to some of the people, his early followers, and seen that there were more, even more healings and amazing things going on. I think it's very likely that she would have continued to follow Jesus. And I wonder if she, I like to think that she would have realized that all the sacrifices that she had to make, I mean literally sacrifices that had to be made for her, would have been wrapped up in the Lamb of God, because that's what Jesus was, came to be known as, his final sacrifice, so that anything that would disqualify her and everybody else, and us, me and you, would have been taken up in that sacrifice. I wonder as well if, I like to think, that one day she also believed this amazing news, that he, this guy, was not just a teacher or a prophet and a healer, was actually the saviour. And I like to think, if I can do it without crying, <laughs> I'm lucky, <laughs> bear with me. I like to think that one day she would have um, uh, been baptized herself. And in that last, final going under the water, which she's experienced many times before, to cleanse her temporarily until the next time and the next time. Then finally, one last time, she goes under the water, every bit of her completely submerged, comes out knowing that's it now it's all gone don't need to do that anymore i'm completely qualified to follow him i'm completely qualified to know god and be known by god and this is the good news so this is the landing bit now let me catch up on my notes because I got carried away. So to every one of you here today, I can give you no better advice than to follow the example of this woman. I, I, I love to preach this stuff because I love this woman who was seen as a nobody, a nuisance, a defiler, is now being talked about by us 2,000 years later, in a 3,000 miles away, and it's such an encouragement, and that Jesus actually chose her and her predicament, the, the lowly of the world, the, the nobodies of the world, to teach the somebodies what God was like and what we need to do to approach him. So be like this woman. Well, what do I mean? That you and I, we vigorously, um, desperately, wholeheartedly, unreservedly put our faith in Jesus. And by faith, you know what I'm talking about now. See, she had plenty of good reasons not to touch. Plenty of good reasons not to connect with this man. But she pushed them all aside, as Jill so uh, wonderfully demonstrated. If you're a newcomer to all this God stuff, you know, I, I, I totally get your potential cynicism and doubt and concern. I mean, it all seems a bit strange. I, I, I totally understand that. I was like that in your shoes at one point as well. You know, there are many things that can get in your way that stand between you and reaching out and connecting with Jesus, aren't there? I mean, you know, well, what did I put some things in here? I better read it. You know, like evolution, you know, your, your bad background. You, you don't know my family history. You don't know how I was brought up. And, uh, and you know, there are some religions in the world and uh, and this, you know, there are babies suffering, and there are, there are children starving, and there are wars everywhere, and, um, 
and aren't some Christians hypocrites? You know, my aunt Betty was terrible. She went to church. I can't. Uh, and, you know, UFOs and, and dinosaurs and, and I'm depressed and, and gay marriage and, uh, and, and austerity and Theresa May and uh, <laughs> Brexit and, and I'm employed. I'm unemployed and, you know, Donald Trump, that's a real big one for me. But, I mean, <laughs> there are many good reasons, it seems, for you not to bother. But don't give up. Copy this lady. Push them aside. Now, um, like the lady in the story should have done. You know, she, she should have given up, but she didn't. So copy her. I can't help you right now to, to negotiate all these obstacles. I can't tell you what to do with all that. All I can do is urge you to have faith in the one that you're going towards and to work it and not give up and to keep pushing and push and push and fight. What I can promise you is that you'll find more than you're expecting when you get there, like this lady did. A lot more than you're expecting. It's worth the fight. Jesus himself said that I am, he said, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty. And he said, if I can paraphrase something, I will accept everyone who comes to me. And we as believers, those of us are longer in the tooth spiritually, so to speak, we're also in a fight to keep hold of the same person. And, you know, I'm not saying we should sort of, you know, be scared that we're going to lose our salvation, but you know where it is. There are lots of things that, that cause us to lose our focus, why we're here in the first place, what we're doing with our lives, many challenges, and they're not all bad things. You know, you just get tired. Raising kids is a challenge. You know, you get difficult children, or you can't have children, or, or you get a difficult marriage, or you can't get married. Uh, you know, caring for parents and chasing money and chasing the dream home and that lovely kitchen with the slidey doors that's, that's <laughs> like, oh, I love that. And fallouts at church and, uh, you know, your own sin, your, the things you do are wrong, your own weakness, and I'm useless at this Christian thing and illness, all these things are obstacles and we can lose our focus and lose where we're looking at. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, I'm going to, this is my funny bit of Turkish, I have to say, which is Turkish for, don't hear what I'm not saying. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's a private joke, David, old preachers say that a lot. These things are important, it's not like you just, oh, scoot and buy, never mind that, never mind this. I mean, when you touch Jesus, they'll still be there. They'll still be behind you. You're still going to deal with them. But you'll be a better place to deal with them when you know who you're holding on to, who you're connected with, where you're facing, and who you're going with. And didn't Jesus say that, you know, come to me, all you are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you. Not, not the yoke of an egg, by the way. My daughters used to think, you know, the yoke of two oxen. Take that onto you and... Um, and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart. I mean, who else would you rather follow? And you'll find rest for your souls. So we need to sometimes uh, look up over our problem, remember where we're heading and where we want to get to, to regain that rest for our souls and continue to learn from it. I want to end just here with a, a quote from the Bible, from Hebrew. It says, let us 
Therefore, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I want to finish by praying, if that's okay with you. Father, I I pray for myself, I pray for every one of these fine people here, whether newcomers to the faith or long in the tooth, whether they've been on the road for a while or not. Father, I ask through your Holy Spirit that you will um, make us remember this fine lady's story and that in, in these situations that I mentioned, all the things, all the obstacles that are between us and you, I ask that you would help us to raise our head, to lift our head up and see you, remember you, and give us faith. Give us a fight, fighting spirit that pushes through and pushes aside the less important for the most important, which is connecting with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.